Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, conversations about the emotionally charged divorce between Greg Schiano and the University of Tennessee, and my thoughts on the New York Giants benching of starting quarterback Eli Manning after 14 years as the leader of their franchise. My conversations this week. Yahoo Sports columnist Dan Wetzel on the meaning of the Greg Schiano Tennessee divorce. Former Bucks general manager Mark Dominic who hired Greg Schiano as head coach in 2012, and NFL sack co-leader Everson Griffin of the Minnesota Vikings on a unique way to ask for a name for his child. But first, some thoughts about Eli Manning getting benched by the New York Giants. The news is still fresh and... I think most people around the league and most people in football who I spoke with on Tuesday were shocked at this decision. But my feeling about it very simply is, yes, it is a shocking decision by the New York Giants, but it is the right decision by the New York Giants for a very, very simple reason. Giants are 2-9. and nine. They're playing for one thing, and that is for 2018 to put their team in the best position possible to win on opening day 2018. So how do you do that? Do you continue to play Eli Manning, a guy who you know everything about? Or do you do that by playing Geno Smith and Davis Webb, his backups? Now, I have no thought that Geno Smith is going to be the long-term quarterback of the New York Giants. And I'm dubious that Davis Webb will be. But, and I don't think that Geno Smith, who will start Sunday against the Oakland Raiders in the black hole, I don't think that the Giants believe that Geno Smith is going to be the long-term quarterback of this franchise. But, this is a very big but, Davis Webb has not taken a practice snap with the Giants since the start of the season against the first or second team defense. All he's done is taken scout team snaps. And for those of you who understand that, what it means is that the only thing that he has done is he has tried to imitate 
what the quarterback for the other team is going to do. And so he's not been involved much with the game plan. He doesn't really know uh, what exactly is in Ben McAdoo's, uh, uh, you know, wheelhouse with what to call. So, so I'm okay with Geno Smith starting uh, for one game, maybe two. But after that, you've got to see what Webb, uh, the 2017 draftee from Cal, can do. And in a larger sense, I think people have wondered, okay, what does this mean for the long-term future for Eli Manning? And the fact is, all the people who are saying, that's it for Eli, it's over for Eli, no one knows that. John Mara, who runs the Giants, doesn't know that. The current coach and GM of the Giants, Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese, they don't know. You know why? They don't even know if they're going to be there on January 5th. They both might get fired. So there might be new people running this team. And so that's why... You can't know what the future is right now. You simply can't. And that's why anybody who's saying right now that, okay, that's it for Eli, or here's what this means, it means only one thing. The Giants are trying to find out the best that they can about the two quarterbacks who are going to back up Eli, or who have been backing up Eli. Do either of them, or do both of them, have a place on the team in 2018? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the only thing the New York Giants should be concerned about in the last five weeks of a god-awful season. They shouldn't be concerned about the, the streak of Eli Manning or the dignity of Eli Manning. This was never going to be easy to tell Eli Manning it's over. Never. It's never going to be easy to tell any quarterback who's been the quarterback of a team for 14 years that it's over. But again, the only thing that the people who run the New York Giants should be concerned about right now with five games left is 2018. And that, regardless of who is around to make those decisions in 2018, that is what the Giants did on Tuesday. And now my conversation with Yahoo Sports columnist Dan Wetzel. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Uh, happy to be joined now by Dan Wetzel, uh, one of the best sports columnists in the United States. He works for Yahoo Sports. He's wrote extensively um, about uh, Greg Schiano and what exactly happened to him with the University of Tennessee over the weekend. And I just want to, at the risk of embarrassing Dan, I want to read uh, the opening of his column on Sunday, which I found so enlightening uh, and so informative about this story. On the campus of the University of Tennessee, at the corner of Volunteer Boulevard and Pat Head Summit Street, not far from Nayland Stadium, sits a near 100-ton stone known locally as The Rock. Just about every day, some group on campus paints a message on it. On Sunday, as news broke that Tennessee was on the verge of hiring Greg Schiano as its new head football coach, this was painted on it. Quote, Schiano covered up child rape at Penn State. End quote. It was part of backlash from volunteer fans angry over the possible hiring of Schiano, the former head coach at Rutgers and the NFL's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He is currently the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. 
Shiano, 51, was also an assistant coach at Penn State from 1990 to 1995. The defensive coordinator at Penn State then was Jerry Sandusky, who in 2012 was convicted on 45 counts of child molestation. Only each Tennessee fan taking part in this knows for sure if they really researched the Sandusky scandal and found Shiano disqualified because of it, or if they are latching onto something because they wanted a different coach. It worked. The school broke off talks and won't hire Shiano, per Yahoo Sports Pete Thamel. So with that, I uh, welcome in Dan Wetzel. And Dan, um, you, you, you captured it perfectly and went through so much of the story and the reasons why this seems not necessarily absolutely categorically unjust, but just unjust on its face because all of the evidence that you present in your story certainly and absolutely does not imply in any way that Greg Schiano A knew about what was going on with Jerry Sandusky at Penn State or was complicit in any way of hiding anything about what happened at Penn State. Uh, well, thanks. Um, yeah, it, it, it just doesn't. And, and the, you know, this story originally came out uh, in, you know, about 18 months ago, and, and it stems from a 2015 uh, deposition that Mike McQuarrie gave. And Mike McQuarrie is known as the, the grad student, the grad assistant who walked in on Jerry Sandusky and a, and a boy in a shower in 2001 and then went and told Joe Paterno the next day. And he's a former Penn State quarterback. And, you know, nothing was done for a few years. So he has a central role in the, in the Sandusky scandal. And in 2015, he gave a deposition in, involving between a, in a case between Penn State and its insurer, its insurance company, about who was going to pay the millions of dollars uh, it needed to uh, uh, to uh, to pay to the to Sandusky victims. And and in that, the insurance company is trying to find as much material as they can to say Penn State is at fault and knew about this case and should have stopped it. And because of that, the insurance company isn't on the hook for all those millions of dollars. So that's the background of why he was getting questioned on this. And in this deposition, he mentions, they're, they're asking him, did, did anybody ever really know about anything? Did you ever hear anything? And it involves a guy named Tom Bradley, who was a longtime assistant coach at Penn State and was just working at UCLA. They got fired last week. And he said, yeah, one time I was talking to Tom Bradley. Tom Bradley said that one time Greg Schiano came walking into his office, looked white as a ghost, and said he'd seen something with uh, Sandusky and a boy in a shower. And the, and the lawyers for the insurance company just, that was good enough. They didn't say, what did he see? What's the something? What year was this? What happened? Any more details? It just sort of gets left out there. Now, it's a double hearsay statement. It would never be admitted in court. But this is what they're trying to get across is that, hey, Penn State knew. Now, what you got to know about this case is, okay, here's this allegation. Is it true? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Maybe, maybe that all did happen. 
Maybe Greg Schiano did see it. I don't, there's no way to know at this point. I can't rule it out 100%. But you have to look at it as Mike McQuarrie was the star witness for the state of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He worked with the Attorney General's office for years. He was the key witness to put away Sandusky, the school president, the vice president, and the athletic director. Four criminal trials, he was the star witness. He also had his own whistleblower lawsuit against Penn State, which he won. He did preliminary hearings. He did grand jury testimony. He did courtroom uh, you know, testimony. I, I saw him three different times on the stand tell his whole story. And in no point in any other publicly known or any of the publicly stated interviews did he ever mention Greg Schiano. This is the only time his name ever came up. Presumably, during all his years as a cooperating witness, with a prosecutors with with the attorney general's office that was trying to get everybody at Penn State and would have loved to have nailed Tom Bradley and Greg Schiano on knowing about Sandusky and doing nothing, you would assume he had told them this story. If he didn't, why? But let's say you have to assume that he told them this is exactly what the prosecutors are looking for when they're when they're dealing with him. They never went after Bradley or 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 Shiano. They they would have. They didn't. They went after everyone. The same time, no civil attorney took this seriously. Nobody went and sued Greg Shiano or Tom Bradley. Shiano is a rich and famous person. Nobody sued Penn State on the basis of this statement. No kid, no victim came forward and said, "Yes, one time I was there." And Greg Schiano walked in and saw me. Greg Schiano become a very famous person. That guy from the Bucks, he walked in on me. There's no victim. There's no victim attorney alleging it. Nobody else went anywhere with it. Any investigation in it just died. Bradley denied it. Schiano denied it. So could it have happened? Yes, absolutely anything could have happened. But if you look at this case, there is no corroboration to this double hearsay allegation. There's no proof. There's no evidence. There's nothing to go and, and go anywhere with it. And what was really troubling about how the Tennessee fans reacted, and when you go to that rock on campus, they didn't just sit there and say, I don't think Greg Schiano should be our coach because I don't think he's a good coach, or I don't like the way he's going to recruit, or I'm actually a little uncertain about a guy that worked at Penn State, and I don't feel real good about him. I wouldn't consider that fair to Shiano, but I would understand it. They said he covered up child rape at Penn State. That's what they painted on the rock. That's what got spread around. He's guilty. He enabled the pedophile. They immediately declared him guilty. Forget accusing him. They just declared him guilty of one of the worst crimes you could ever put on somebody. And that's what was scary. No basis for fact. It's, there's absolutely nothing that could make you say he did it. Yet that's what they were painting on the rock. And that was wild. And I think that's terrifying for anybody in this country that there's just zero due process. There's zero basis of even looking up all available information. This isn't like a fresh allegation. This is old stuff spun in a terrible way. I'm going to interrupt you and just say two things. I want to read two more paragraphs from lowering your story that, that, 
were the most interesting paragraphs in the story that I read, okay? The Pennsylvania Attorney General's office was extremely aggressive in pursuing leads and going after anyone it believed covered up for Sandusky. It spent years building and then prosecuting a case that was based on the allegation that people in power at Penn State participated in a conspiracy of silence. It's very difficult to imagine how that same Attorney General's office, if it heard about this and believed it was even remotely provable or accurate, would not go after Shiano and especially Bradley, who worked at Penn State from 1979 to 2012 and was arguably Paterno's most trusted lieutenant. Yet even after this emerged in 2016, the Attorney General's office did not pursue it as far as anyone knows. Likewise, Penn State conducted its own lengthy and exhaustive investigation run by former FBI Director Louis Free, and the Shiano story never emerged. I mean, when you hear that, when you read that, I mean, I, I, you know what, Dan? I had somebody say to me, because I guess I am seen uh, on social media as uh, some, uh, you know, very liberal guy who, uh, you know, hates Trump and whatever. Uh, but but somebody, somebody actually said to me, they sent me not on Twitter, but sent me an email. It's somebody who I know said, well, you had no trouble coming to the conclusion that Roy Moore in Alabama is guilty uh, for what happened 40 years ago, allegedly with a 14-year-old girl. And I said, this is totally, totally a different story. This was a high-profile, huge case in the state of Pennsylvania. And the difference between the Roy Moore story is a very, very simple uh, fact that this is not a trial that happened with Roy Moore. This is eight, I believe, eight women, including the the 14-year-old girl who's now, whatever, 55 years old, who says, here's what happened uh, back 40 years ago. And the Washington Post writes this story with eight uh, now women, formerly young girls, who said that Roy Moore basically uh, either harassed them or tried to seduce them out of this mall in Alabama. I said, it's not a it's not a court case. It's simply, do you want to entrust your vote with this guy, uh, knowing that there's a very good chance that he did something really, really regrettable and against the law 40 years ago? Has the passage of time just totally wiped that away? And I said, this is different because there were so many governmental agencies who looked into this and found no reason to go after Greg Schiano, even after uh, you know the testimony in 2015. That's why, to me, this is so reprehensible. Yeah, I mean, two two things on that. One is neither did any civil attorneys go after him. Forget the government. Nobody said, oh, let's let's hit up up Shiano here. He'll settle for half a million bucks. But here's the difference. If eight kids, eight boys came forward and said, I was with Jerry Sandusky and Greg Shiano walked in and saw us. Or if Jerry Sandusky said, I was with a I was with a boy eight different or however many times you want to do it, and Greg Shiano walked in and saw me. Now you have a direct accusation. 
That's different than one person saying, hey, like 10 years ago, a guy told me something about something that, that someone else told him. That's why hearsay isn't admissible. This isn't a, this isn't Roy Moore did this to me. That's a, that's just a total, if, if there's a kid that came forward and if he comes forward today, I don't know, you know, it'll change it. You don't know, right? Yeah, I was in the shower and Craig Shiano walked in on us and he saw us doing it. That's a whole different, I take that thing a whole, totally different as would anybody else. Cause now you go, wait a minute. Now it's a direct thing. Not, I heard something. I heard something. So, I know this is like, you know, facts don't matter anymore. We just blast away on Twitter and Facebook and everything. Everything's disposable. But, you know, there's a reason you have due process. There's a reason you have, uh, you know, hearsay isn't allowed. You, there's a reason you're allowed to confront with. We don't know when he says do something. We don't know what that something is. If you go back to she, uh, to McQuarrie, you could have said, well, what was the something? Oh, I was just showering with them or something. You know, it could, it, you, your, your mind goes to the worst thought. It might be more innocent. It might not be, you know, one side's lying and the other's telling the truth. It could be a big misunderstanding of it. But to, to, to express how deeply the prosecutors went after this case, there was a point in the, the original Sandusky criminal trial in 2012 where Tom Bradley, who we're talking about, was, was mentioned in the trial, and, and they went down this line with one of the, one of the boys. One of the boys, uh, he was known then as victim number four, he testified that he thought Tom Bradley was concerned at what Sandusky was doing because he was taking a shower in the, the, it's like a big shower room at the coach's locker room. And Sandusky was in there, and he was in there, and Tom Bradley walked in, and Bradley took an unusually long shower. Bradley would knock it out of the shower, and Sandusky eventually just gave up, and the shower ended, and they left. And he said, I think Bradley took a too long of a shower because he knew. Okay? And so the idea, let me just go with this, I, and I, you know, I don't know. Bradley just said he took a shower. But the idea that they're going to the level of how long is a usual shower tells you how serious they were taking this. If they had, you walked in and saw something and then told someone you saw something and then did nothing, they would have been on Craig Schiano so hard. If, if you're criticizing a guy for taking a shower too long, which is unprovable, right? How long is your normal shower? That's how serious this case was. And, that's, and, and, and Mike McQuarrie, this isn't like, uh, Mike McQuarrie breaks his silence to the Washington Post. He was the star witness for years in multiple, multiple trials. So there's just simply no way that this wouldn't have, if there's anything here, it wouldn't have been pursued. So, you know, did it happen? Who knows? But there's, you cannot conclude and write that on a rock and spread that around social media and use that as a, as a reason and say, Greg Schiano did this. And that's, that's what I just find so troubling. If you really get into this, and the fact that so few people anymore even want to look into it before rendering a judgment or sharing an unbelievably big opinion is, is, is somewhat terrifying. What do you say to the people who painted on a rock in public view, Shiano covered up child rape at Penn State? I, don't, I mean, I don't know how you do that. Like, how could you go take the time to buy the paint? Drive down the rock, 
think it out, why wouldn't you read the deposition? You know, it, it, I don't know. That, next, you know, they'll, they'll feel differently if it's them. We all work somewhere, right? I, again, I don't know. I don't know what happened at Penn State in 1990. But we all work somewhere. We all belong to organizations or, or we coach teams or, 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 or we go to churches or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, somebody's busted. And they go, oh, y'all should have known. And then someone says, hey, I heard a story that this guy once said he saw something, and now your career is over. And you go, hey, I didn't know anything. Or maybe it's, you know, I never really liked that guy, but I didn't know what he was doing. I mean, if you're going to be in this kind of witch hunt thing, and the rock is the scarlet letter, you're, you're, you know, it, this isn't how it's supposed to work, and it shouldn't work, but that's what's happening to people. And, you know, if, if there was something that made me say, man, I wouldn't trust Greg Schiano, I would, I would have been all over, I've been all over this story for years. It's just, this, you have to, even the most reprehensible story, you can't just throw everybody out. You have to look at each allegation and treat everyone with some fairness. And there's just no way you can fairly look at this and, and make that conclusion about Greg Schiano. You just, it, you just can't, there's no evidence. If anyone had any, bring it forward, but there isn't any. And, and again, this isn't like, let's see how it plays out. This sucker is played out. Everyone's already in jail and prison. All the trials are done. It's over. It's not, this isn't a fresh allegation where we're going to see if anyone steps forward. This, even this allegation is old. So if nothing's come out, at what point does the guy get to have his reputation back? Do you think Greg Schiano ever gets a shot to be a head coach in college or pro football? I don't know. I don't know about college. I mean, I, I mean, I think he can stay with Urban Meyer, coach at Ohio State. I don't think you know Ohio State very strong today, backing him. Um, Gene Smith, their their excellent athletic director, said we went through everything. You know, we investigated everything. We had our lawyers look at everything, go through all this stuff. There's just nothing to corroborate and, uh, you know, uh, to, to go with this. So they're sticking with them. And, and is, there a, is there a school willing to do the same? Is, is he a big enough name to make that risk if you're the athletic director and deal with what might be the same fallout? That's probably his biggest thing, you know. Was, you know what uh, I think? You know what I think, if he Dan? Won the national title at Rutgers, they probably wouldn't have cared. You know what I think, Dan? This is the collegiate version of Colin Kaepernick. This is a uh, you know Colin Kaepernick for whatever reason is not getting a job in the NFL. People will always find a reason to not hire Greg Schiano. That's the sad part of it. Because I think every year in college football where, I'm just going to guess, there's probably 25 Division One jobs that come free, and that's probably conservative yeah. every year. Uh, there's six or seven NFL jobs that come free. Um, so there's, there's 30 to 35 jobs, head coaching jobs, every year. And here's a guy who, uh, look, I lived in New Jersey for 19 years. Rutgers was the lowest of the low. And at one point, Greg Schiano for a month had that team ranked ninth in the United States. So uh, he didn't win a national championship. He didn't win in Tampa Bay. But he took a dog crap 
college football program, and he made him respectable for a time. And uh, yet that's the kind of guy at age 51, now working with Urban Meyer, defensive coordinator, last three years, top 10 or last two years, top 10 defense in the country each year. That's the kind of guy you say, man, you know what? I'd like that guy to run my program. It's the exact same thing as, you know, Colin Kaepernick. I'm looking out there and and I'm seeing uh, uh, I'm seeing Trevor Simeon and Brock Osweiler and and uh, you know all these uh, Tom Savage. Seeing all these guys quarterback football teams, and you know that there's a guy out there who can quarterback them better, but you don't want to hire him. It's Colin Kaepernick, and I think the same thing is going to happen. Sadly, uh, to Greg Schiano. I mean, it's easy to find somebody. It's easy to find the excuse to not hire him, right? So, because he's not, he, I think. I think you could certainly look at his record, and I agree. What he did at, at Rutgers, I mean, it's crazy. People go, "Well, he only, he's only uh, five hundred coach." <laughs> the first four years, he lost a ton of games because you, nobody wins at Rutgers, and nobody's won since at Rutgers. Um, you know, so you say, "Yeah, he's a good coach," but he's not like wait, we got a chance to hire uh, Nick Saban or Urban Meyer or Chip Kelly. Like, we have to hire him, them, right? He, he's still – he's good, but he's not – if he was an exciting enough hire, the Tennessee fans would have been happy. And, 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 and I, you know, and, and a lot of them the, – the, the issue here is that they didn't think he was good enough. Um, so I don't know that he's, he's exciting enough for an AD to take a shot at like that. We'll have to see. But his career certainly could be – hampered dramatically um and maybe for good but i kind of look at it i don't know greg Ciano, but i imagine he doesn't he would trade staying at ohio state if he could have not dealt with 24 hours of of being called a, a protecting covering up child rape at penn state yeah but I mean, you know I, what i you know really what i ask anything, you, you know? know what i heard you know what i heard uh in the wake of this that uh that he's outraged and he doesn't want to let the uh, Twitter lynch mob win. And I don't know what he'll do. I really don't know what he'll do. I have a feeling that uh, that he's going to sue Tennessee, but at the end of the day, what good does that do? Uh, it doesn't get you your reputation back. Uh, just the whole story kind of stinks. Uh, I'm finishing up with Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports. So last thing I'll ask you. I don't know why this particular story bothers me so much, but Dan, I feel a little bit like we might have crossed the Rubicon here, that uh, this is really kind of a different story. It isn't just uh, uh, Twitter America rising up and being outraged about some issue or other. This is something that uh, actually... Uh, got a guy fired at a Southeastern Conference football team. And that's why I say, whoa, this really is different. So what is the moral of this story to you? Yeah, I think the wildfire that this took off on was just overwhelming. And the fact that something that just, it really, un, you know, clickbait headlines are being used. Look, this is what the headline says. And it's like, read the story, re- research it. All of this stuff is available. There's nothing not available about the Penn State story. This isn't someone stepped forward and accused them. The whole thing is, is done. And so it's all there and nobody cared to look at it. And I think that 
that stuns me because, look, this is the SEC. I cover college football and the NFL. And the SEC is endlessly entertaining because, like, you know, we had an Arkansas coach fired because a fan wanted him fired because he went through all his phone records and found phone calls. We had an Ole Miss coach fired for calling uh, the number of escort services because a Mississippi State coach, uh, fan went through his phone records. Like, the fans inter- interject themselves in these things all the time. And you have these wild scandals and wild stories. But this has felt different because it was just like, it wasn't a new story. It was just like, we're going to dig up a salacious line about him and then go crazy because, you know, I'm sure there's some people who, 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 again, I think I said this earlier, like I'm understanding if someone says, I don't want anybody associated with Penn state. I don't, again, I don't think that's fair. But I get it. But if you're just sitting there saying, I think this guy's going to, we're only going to be six and six with this guy, so I'm just going to run with this line and try to slander him, that's a whole other level. And the speed, I mean, you had polit- every, every opportunistic pen, uh, a politician in, in, pen, in Tennessee was, you know, oh, we, we got to stand up against this. You know, even the guys running for rep and Senate and stuff, they don't even not going to take the time to read anything. And it just caught fire in a matter of hours and the whole thing reversed. And that's why it felt, it just felt worse. And it was just like, gosh, in real time, you're watching, you're watching the lie and it it just, just crush a guy. And I mean, I I wrote the column I wrote pretty quickly. I mean, it was up, you know, not even late last night and it was too late. You know, like things happen so quick. It's not like, you got to wait for tomorrow's edition. Like, it was up by like seven thirty at night, and by then, deal was over. It's like so quick you can't even get the truth out there. Well, and, and hey, what's the amazing here's what's amazing to me: Shiano signs the memorandum of understanding with Tennessee at at two p.m. Yeah, and he's going to get on an airplane, a University of Tennessee airplane, fly to Knoxville after the Ohio State practice that afternoon. He's going to have a 7 o'clock press conference. He's going to go back to the plane and fly back to Columbus that night. He would have been home by 11.30. And he's going to go back, and he's going to coach uh, Ohio State all week, and then he's going to go be the uh, the Tennessee coach. And all of it ended. All of it ended in two hours. That's it. That's how long it took. Yes. It's how long was, it took for the witch hunt to work. That's it was what, out by about 8 o'clock. I filed the column at 7.26, and then we had to add that he had been fired after man, I filed it. Amazing. So five and a half hours, but it took a couple hours for it to go, and then boom. That's, that's the part. Again, I just, you know, I don't know. Maybe we're like the, the two oldest people in the world, but it's like, uh, you know, does anyone care about the truth or due process or like what if it <laughs> the next time it could be you and you go well i'm not a football coach at penn state well you know belong to a church coach little league you know you do the boy scouts you work at a company because that's all greg shiano was doing he's working at a company and then something terrible happened but years later someone told a story about someone telling a story and now your career's done, and and you got people painting rocks saying you 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 again like just how how evil of a person is Greg Schiano 
to walk in there and see that and just go, ah, I don't care. Yeah. You know, and, and part of part of the thing about the Penn State story about how many people knew, you know, it, it doesn't, it, you just can't, like, the, you can't have that many people. Like, you can't find that many people who don't care. The coincidence of them all being at one place. Some of the allegations, you're just like, hey, probably didn't know. He might have suspected. I can see a lot of things, you know. God, I don't really like that guy. I'm always trying to see what he's up to, but I never catch him. And then something comes out. You know, you go, ah, that makes sense. But, you know, the idea that Greg Shawn is just walking in, no, that's all right. I don't care. You know, that's the unbelievable thing to say he did it. And that was it. They weren't saying, I'm accusing him of doing it, or I think he might have done it. It was, he did it. Dan Wetzel, tremendous uh, job on the column. I've got great, great respect for your work. I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast and uh, talking about something that I think you and I both agree is quite troubling. So thank you. Appreciate it, Peter. Anytime. This is the MMQB Podcast. Are you ready for the holidays? I know I am. That's because Harry's is the perfect holiday gift. And I should know. Because I have six Harry's razors in my closet at home. I actually can't get enough of Harry's. So I've decided I don't want you to tell him. My brother-in-law, Lou, he lives in Monongahela, Pennsylvania. He's a big Steelers fan. And I have decided to re-gift some of my Harry's razors and equipment. And I'm going to re-gift them to Lou, and he's going to love them. And I don't want anybody out there, if you live in Pittsburgh and you see Lou Rinaldi, do not tell him that my Christmas gift to him is a re-gift of Harry's razors. He's going to say, hey, man, I love these razors. These are fantastic. Anyway. I just thought you would like to know about my my Christmas gift for my brother-in-law, Lou, who I love very much. Anyway, look, you're probably wondering why I'm talking about this as the perfect gift. I'll tell you. You already know that it's an amazing product with a very reasonable price. But it's also a company that everybody loves. Three million guys have switched from their razors to Harry's. Lots of reasons. I mean, a lot of it is the cost. But once you start using Harry's, you know, I'm just going to tell you one other thing about Harry's. I use other razors and I always get little nicks. Always. Never get a nick with Harry's razors. They're really, really good. Anyway, you can personalize your gift this year to make it just perfect. And you can do it with limited edition holiday colors. There's also a personal engraving option. Harry's is offering custom and limited edition shaving sets that make those perfect gifts. That gift set includes a five-blade cartridge, foaming gel, special limited edition winter chrome, and emerald green handles. And you can personalize it with an engraving. Gift sets start at $10. They're great stocking stuffers. And of course, don't forget about picking something out for yourself. As a special offer for fans, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off your order when you go to harrys.com slash king. This offer is only available for the holidays. So this holiday, give Harry's and give handsome. Get your holiday shopping done early and take advantage of free shipping. So get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last. Go to harrys.com slash king right now. One more time, harrys.com 
slash king. And now my conversation with former Tampa Bay general manager, Mark Dominic. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, joined by Mark Dominic, the uh, former general manager of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, who was uh, the man who negotiated and hired Greg Schiano as the coach of the Bucks in 2012. He co- he uh, worked with him day to day for two years. Um, uh, Dominic, the GM, and. Uh, uh, Shiano, the head coach, and Mark, I appreciate you joining me. I'll start off by sort of asking you the um, you know, the question that I think everybody has asked. Uh, were you shocked to see what happened with uh, Greg Shiano in the University of Tennessee the other day? Yeah, I was. I mean, I was very surprised by how it all played out on a stage uh, in the, the 21st century. But yeah, shocked. Uh, I know that having talked to Greg and still communicate from, with Greg from time to time that you know, he wanted to be head coach again. And it's a huge program. It's a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, I was, I was happy for him that what looked like was going to be that opportunity to be able to kind of go back and really put a stamp on the program and try to turn it around. But then certainly we saw what happened. And, yeah, I was, I was definitely shocked at the reaction and, uh, and the backlash that, that we saw out there from everyone. Have you spoken to him? No, I kind of left him alone. Yeah, I texted him and just kind of left the text with him. But I know that I'm sure it's been a very hard 24 to 40 hours for not only him, but his family and just all the people around him. And I, I want to respect that space. You sent a very supportive tweet out um, on Sunday night that I thought was really, really good one. And I'll paraphrase it, basically saying that, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, obviously you guys didn't win enough because you both ended up getting fired, but uh, you essentially, um, you, you know, you said that uh, he was a great guy to work with. Uh, you just, you know, obviously you didn't win enough, but I'm wondering about the hiring process that you went through, and I'm wondering specifically how difficult was it, uh, and and did you get into any of the stuff at Penn State when you were looking into uh, Greg Schiano uh, originally when he was the coach at Rutgers. Yeah, I did. And we talked a lot about different things. I mean, where his whole college background came from, his coaching, we certainly talked about and did our own research into what happened at Penn State and, uh, and the involvement that he was aware of, that he knew of. And at, at the end, we were very comfortable. And I have to think uh, – whether there's been newer reports or anything out there, I'm sure the University of Tennessee did the same follow-up and research. I'm sure that Urban Meyer did the same follow-up and research to put him at Ohio State's football program. That's a big deal. And so we did the vetting that we needed to do and felt very comfortable. And he was certainly ashamed of what happened at Ohio State, but I don't think there's any ounce that Greg Shiano was involved in anything that actually did occur at Ohio State to that level. Or you, that you, mean, you, mean, you mean Penn State? You said Ohio State. State. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah, no, Penn State. Yes, of course. Um, and, and uh, y- you know, you say that surely he was ashamed of it, but you feel very confident that uh, what you're saying is that he did not witness anything and he didn't have anything to do with the Sandusky um, uh, child endangerment stuff. No, I don't, I don't think there was any involvement. You know, I don't think he witnessed anything. I've read the reports where there's been, you know, some 
speculation here or there in terms of whether he saw something under oath or not. I'm not sure I'm, I'm going to look. I, I spent a lot of time. We spent a lot of time digging into that. I think a lot of people have spent a lot of hours digging into that whole process of what happened there at Ohio at Penn State. And I feel very comfortable that, that Greg did not know what was going on. And I think if he did, he would have certainly blown the whistle too, because, um, you know, to see what happened with Joe Paterno and that whole, uh, you know, university was uh, very hard for him to watch that uh, tear down right in front of his eyes. So the uh, university, uh, you know, he held close to his heart because of you know the opportunities he had there. Uh, with Mark Dominic, uh, who worked very closely, obviously, with Greg Schiano for two years uh, in Tampa Bay. Um, Mark, I, I, as as I watch this unfold Sunday evening uh, and and then into Monday, I think the thought that occurred to me is how incredible it was that you know the public, which uh, you know always, I'm sure, has been passionate about its sports. Uh, but this was this seemed to me a little bit different. The public actually had a major involvement on a coach in the Southeastern Conference getting fired. And I, I, I try not to overrate what we're watching right now, but I think we saw something in those couple of days that uh, that on, quite honestly, I know that Twitter, I know social media has played a big role in a lot of things in our lives, but I don't remember ever seeing it determine whether a guy gets hired or fired. Yeah, no, I, I don't either. And it only sits there and gives more power to that, to that, you know, that, that outlet of whether or not. You know, the people that are doing the work, everybody's entitled to opinion. So that's what social media is for, is for you to reach out there and say, hey, look, I don't like this hire. I love this hire. I think this is going to be the right one for us. I don't think so. But the way it came out uh, just empowered, I think, social media even that much more in terms of the impact it has. And I think this is the interesting part that we're, we're seeing this play out in, in that venue or that in that realm is the fact that social media certainly uh, – precluded or or scared the university of tennessee so much so that they would do an offer it's, it's just it's it's baffling to me because i i gotta think again peter they went through they had to have gone through the the process of the, the vetting and the you know the knowledge of the background that they knew there was going to be a little backlash but i don't think they ever expect that kind of extreme outcry and i think it became one of those you know moments where everybody got the you know the the mojo together or whatever you want to call it. It just became a, a very ugly scene out there. Still is actually right now. So um, did Tennessee call you and ask you your thoughts on Shiano? No, they did not. Yeah. What would you say if a program came to you and asked you, what do you believe? Let's forget the football coach for a second, but what do you believe about Greg Shiano, the person and not only what he witnessed uh, or didn't witness at Penn State, but Greg Schiano, the person, what's he like? Well, he's intense. I mean, the, the, look, in my tweet, I talked about that he's a, an honest guy, uh, that he has a very supportive and loving family that he very much loves and supports, and that he's an excellent football coach. And I don't think any of those things have changed. You know, if you want, he's a very, you know, in control kind of a leader. Uh, he wants to make sure that things are the appropriate way. But I will say this, 
there was a lot of change in Greg from year one to year two in the NFL. Because he did, I think, learn and understand that, the, the, you know, the 28-year-old veteran isn't the same as the 19-year-old kid or the 18-year-old kid or 17-year-old young man coming out of high school. And he was, when he first got there, he was treating them more like they were 17 years old. As he got through the program the first year and he got some feedback from the veterans that he had on this council, then a lot of things changed. So, I mean, the things you might have heard coming out of Tampa Bay year one, there was not very much of that year two. But there was certainly, it was a very shock culture shock for the veterans on the team the year one. But I will say that he was wise enough to sit there and look at the situation and say, what are the things we need to change? What should I change, Mark? And we went through all that, and he made those changes to where, you know, there was a different uh, mindset towards, you know, pregame meals. There was a different mindset towards, you know, hydration, how you make a guy hydrate versus you have to hydrate. You know, just little things. But he understood that he had to make a back down and, and change in that area. But he is, you know, very um, – demanding and if you can't handle that he's not going to be for you so you know what i i started to think about this whether whether he deserves it or not um and there would be a lot of people who would say okay uh did a really good turnaround job at rutgers uh which was a totally and i lived in new jersey for 19 years i don't think people realize they look at his record he was around 500 a game or two or above and uh, and I said, hey, listen, this is a team that was the worst Division One team uh, for a period of five, six, eight years, and it wasn't even close. Right. And he got this team to a level where I looked up one day. They're on Thursday night football against Louisville. They're rated ninth in the country, and they got 58,000 people in this stadium watching them play. And I said, at Rutgers? Are you kidding me? It was, re- it was absolutely incredible. But, but be that as it may, I, I'm, I, what I ended up thinking the other day, Mark, when I, was, when I was sort of just sitting there pondering this, I said, you know, w- whether this guy deserves it or not, I think this guy is never going to get a chance. Because, to be a head coach again, because I think that what's going, which, you know, life goes on and, and he'll, he'll certainly adjust. He's not a glass half empty guy. Um, but, but I think when you look at it, you say anybody who's going to go to hire a coach is going to look and see what happened at Tennessee. And yep. they're going to say, even if it's only the 5% of the fans who might think, that the guy had something to do with enabling uh, Jerry Sandusky, which is is patently absurd. But even if it's only 5%, they're going to realize, hey, we can make a big difference in whether this guy gets the job or not. And if you're an athletic director, you're probably going to say, why do I want to deal with this? I think you're right, Peter. And I think you started this whole part of this conversation with, that's what attracted us to Greg Schiano in the first place. If one of the people that we did interview for the head coaching job was the fact that not only did they turn records around, I think they won five bowl games. Records hadn't been in the bowl game in years, years, and years. Um, and I think at the time when we hired Greg, I think Rutgers had, I think, the fourth or fifth amount of NFL players in the entire NFL, the most. I mean, you're talking when you're saying Florida, Florida State, USC, Notre Dame, Ohio State, all the major football programs. Rutgers was like fifth in the NFL in players that were – physically actively playing it was an amazing statement an amazing testimony to look the guy can run a program turn it around and he has an understanding of how to evaluate a roster and so that's what attracted us to him but i do think and, and sadly i do think it's true 
Um, I think every athletic director is going to look at that and say, you know, it's just not worth it. Regardless of what I think of him or what I'm going to do, you know, to put myself out there, uh, it's not worth it. And, and I think that's what we just saw happen on social media, and I think that's what you're going to start to see even more. It may not be Greg. It's going to be a different coach or it's going to be a different situation. But I think, uh, I think you're going to see people approach that differently also, meaning – uh, I think when you're starting to hire that the whispers might become not whispers anymore, but, you know, plant out there, Peter, honestly, to kind of get a pulse of what's going on, because I think we're so scared and so concerned about the overall, you know, image and the, the perception of the program. And that's, that leads to not going with all the time you spend with a person, understanding who they are. Instead, you're, you're more worried about the crowd than you are about your uh, gut instincts and your, your hiring ability. Yeah, it's. I just think uh, we've a little bit crossed the Rubicon, and in my opinion, as I wrote in my column this week, it's just a very sad day in America when um, when uh, a guy. I mean, what, what I what I say is that I mean, you know, there was the the authorities in Pennsylvania were so intent on getting anyone who knew a scintilla of anything about this and mm-hmm. looking into their uh, looking into their past and looking into what their involvement was these people didn't touch Greg Schiano they never touched him and uh, it, it, regardless of the 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 hearsay evidence uh, that is involved I mean there's a lot of hearsay about a lot of topics and again I don't know. I don't know anything other than that Greg Schiano says I didn't do it, I'm not guilty, and he was never charged with anything in a, in a huge uh, firestorm of an emotionally charged uh, story. And uh, n- nobody ever looked at Greg Schiano and said, hey, we think that, that he has some culpability, let's go after him. And yet uh, he got run out of Knoxville without ever having a chance to defend himself. It's, I just think it's a sad day in America. I, I think it's rough and, and brutal, and I agree. And I think it's, uh, you know, I think a lot of things just go on the Internet sometimes, and we see them just post stories, and there's no accountability at all. And I think that's a hard part. You, again, you can have an opinion, but it gets a little bit harder when you just form your opinion based off of, uh, of somebody else's opinion or somebody else's mindset, you know, again, uh, it's hard to sit there and say, well, you can think this way or you can think that way. But the reality is the reason why I posted last night was the fact that I didn't agree with the way the mob was moving. And I didn't think it was fair for a lot of people to not, you know, especially throw him under the bus in the Penn State situation to sit there and just start lumping everything and anything on him. And some of the pictures I saw out there in social media about what Greg was involved with or not involved with, I, all I can say is, and I'm sure you know this, Peter, is you know, you've known Greg for a while. I've known Greg for a while. I've worked with him for seven, 800 days straight. Um, he didn't have anything to do with Penn State, in my personal opinion, and it's disappointing how this all played out. Mark Dominic, thanks so much for joining me. Wish you the best, and we shall be in touch. Sounds good, Peter. Thanks, sir. Thank you. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. State Farm knows that for football fans, your car and home are more than just stuff. They're some of your most valuable possessions. They're the things you've worked hard for and have made a lifetime of memories with. Whether it's the truck that gets you to every tailgate or the place where you watch your favorite team with your favorite people. But life can be a tough opponent. 
That's why when it comes to finding the right home and auto insurance, you need a strong defense. A seasoned pro like State Farm. They understand it's more than just a car or a house. So why not give it the protection it deserves? It's just one more way State Farm is here to help life go right. See how they can help you by talking to a State Farm agent today. And now my conversation with Vikings defensive end, Everson Griffin. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, joined by uh, Pro Bowl uh, defensive end Everson Griffin of the Minnesota Vikings. Um, And for those who watched football on Thanksgiving, the most intriguing scene of the entire day, the triple header of football, was what Everson Griffin did during the football game. Okay, so as many of you know, Everson Griffin is good. And uh, he had a couple of sacks of Matthew Stafford, which is not so rare uh, because he's a sack machine. But anyway, after his first sack of Matthew Stafford in the game, Everson Griffin, knowing that the cameras would be on him, lifted up his football jersey to reveal a white T-shirt with the following words written on them. I just had a baby boy. What should I name him? And so, Everson, I'm going to ask you the first question. What did you name him? We named him Sebastian Gregory Griffin. Sebastian. Was that a crowdsource suggestion or no? Um, it, it was, um, me and my wife, we were going to name our first two Sebastian, but we they ended up being Grayson and Ellis. So Sebastian always been on the back burner. And, you know, we, we always loved that name. And we were, we were going through names like Caspian and Sebastian and Rowan and all different types of names. And Sebastian was the one that stuck out, stuck out, of, stuck out to us the most. And so we went with Sebastian, but we did look on Twitter. It was fun looking at all the name suggestions that people gave. It was pretty funny. Okay, so I want to know about the reaction. Tell me exactly what the reaction. But but let let me go let me go back in time. Okay, so did this baby come fast, or did you always know? And did your wife say your wife's name is Tiffany, right? Yes. Yeah. So did she always say, "Hey, listen, if the baby comes, I want you here," or? What? How did that go with with the wife? Because I know that a lot of wives would say, "You better be here for that kid being born." Absolutely, my wife wanted me there, um, but the baby came unexpectedly. Um, it was the baby was due December sixteenth, and it came three and a half weeks, almost four weeks early. So um, it was it was unexpected. So I got on the flight. When I was going on the flight, I was talking to her. She was going to the hospital with her mom, um, and when she got there. She was five five centimeters dilated, and so she was waiting for the doctor to come in and talk to her. And then, by the time by the time she knew she was staying at the hospital, it was like maybe like seven, six, seven o'clock. So I tried to look up flights. All the flights were booked for um, Delta and everywhere because it was the day before Thanksgiving, and the private jet. They, there was no way I could get one in time. It would have been like four or five hours at later with notice to get pilots in on Thanksgiving Day and and all that. So, um, so um, I couldn't make it. So um, during warmups, during warmups, I was warming up and they Facetime me while she was giving birth. So I seen the birth live on Facetime during warmups. Wow, who 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 held the phone? 
Um, I think it was her sister Jessie, Jessica um, Dinkman. Yeah, I think I think she was the one holding the phone during the time of the FaceTime. So uh, you're watching this on FaceTime. How long before the game uh, are you watching this? An hour or so? Uh, no, I get warmed up pretty early. Um, so it probably was like hour and a half before, two hours before. And and game. how was that? What were you standing on the field on the sidelines? Where were you yeah, exactly in Detroit? I was, was standing. Um, once they called me, I was walking down. I went by the bench and I was telling everybody I'm having a baby over space time. Look, I was actually telling them to look because they were seeing everything. My the whole the whole episode of the happening. I was like, I'm having a baby right now over space time. I was telling everybody, so it happened on Thanksgiving. Wow, I mean during warm up. So I stopped my warm up and then. Um, she had it, then I said, babe, um, all right, I'm going to finish my warm-up. I'll call you once I get back in the locker room. So I finished my warm-up. I called her back when I get in the locker room. And, yeah, the baby was, our baby boy, Sebastian, was seven pounds, two ounces. And, yeah, and he was um, almost four weeks early. And he would have been a big, 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 big boy if he would have been full-term. So what was it like to watch your baby being born on your phone? Um, I, you know, I, I wanted to be there. I was trying to make it back, but that's why I'm happy that they got FaceTime and all this new technology coming out because I think, um, maybe 10 years, 10 years ago, there was no way that, you, no way I would have been, I just would have been talking to her on the phone. But now the new technology out, even though phones are taking over everything, like, you know, if you walk down the street, you see people staring, looking at their phones and, but it was awesome. I was still able to be there, but not be there over FaceTime. So was it really, uh, I mean, when you had to hang up the phone, what did you say to Tiffany? I was like, I love you. Um, time to go ball out. And I say these special words to her before every game, but they're inappropriate. I can't say it right now. So <laughs> um, I always say that the guy I'm going up against, he is, um, I say it in a funny way. I say he's F-O-O-K-E-D every game. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what I said. And I hung up the phone and then I took off, then I took off, um, got my warm up, and then I got a burst of energy. Cause I was sad a little bit cause I wanted to see my baby born. I wanted to be there. So I was a little down and then after I seen the birth over FaceTime, it raised up my spirits and I was able to, you know, go out there and have a pretty good game. So, um, what made you decide to write that note on your shirt. What was the what was your thought process? Is that something you knew you were going to do? Had you been thinking about doing that? No, I did not know. I just once the baby was born, I went in the locker room, got my shirt. I was like, you know what? We really don't have a name for this baby boy yet, so I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put. I just had a baby, and what should we name him? And it just popped in my mind, and and I knew I was like, once I get a sack, um, I'm gonna do it, and I got that sack and. I got up and I just showed the shirt and, you know, I just, you know, I was trying to be entertaining, trying to be funny, you know, that's what football is all about, you know. So, uh, and and just tell me a little bit, when you got into the locker room after the game, you pick up your phone and what do you find? I find pictures of um, um, my kids with, with the baby. Um, she sent me pictures of the baby, um, I, I called her immediately. I think I FaceTimed her immediately after the game. I see the baby up close and personal, and you know it was just it was just it was a beautiful moment, very blessed moment to have my baby on Thanksgiving. Be able to play. it's a story that I'll be able to tell Sebastian forever. So, um, 
how many how many people contacted you or sent you ideas either on Twitter or somehow some way about what they wanted you to name oh the baby? Oh my god, probably over ten thousand on Twitter or more. It was an unbelievable amount. It was a lot of people. I couldn't I, I, I couldn't even go through every single one. I would have been there for weeks trying to go through every single one. But over over ten thousand, it was a lot. Do you have any interesting names? Um, some, some had Thunderbolt as a middle name. Some had, um, some had Mike Zimmer. Some had, (laughs) some people had, um, call him, um, Aaron, first name, Rogers, middle name. Some people had, um, what was a funny one? Some people had, um, I I can't remember them. I don't know. They were, they were so far-fetched. It was so funny. Like Charles and. A, a lot of Case Keenums, a lot of <laughs> oh, a lot of Matt, a lot of Matthew Stanford's. Um, <laughs> somebody said since since you had a game and De- since you played when your baby was born in Detroit, you should name him Detroit. Yeah, yeah. So wow. it was it was fun names. And um, it, it, now looking back on it, it had to be an incredible experience for you. Yeah, it was fun, man. I was like I said, I was down before. I was down, man. I was re- I was really sad. Like I was out there warming up, and I'm like, man, I really want to see my baby born. And her mom called me and said, yeah, they brought her, and now it's time, you know. Then she coming back a minute later, and she pushed two times, and I seen the head pop out, and I was like, oh my goodness! And then out comes the baby, and then my spirits, and I was happy. I really like got it. Uh, a boost of energy and I was happy and I was ready to go, but it was, it was, it was amazing. It was fun, man. So let's just transition for a minute to football. I'm curious. There's probably, uh, if I asked the average fan in the NFL right now, so who's leading the NFL in sacks? I bet you'd get some Von Millers. Uh, you'd get a bunch of different guys. I, I don't know who all you'd get. Maybe you get some Khalil Max. Uh, but leading the NFL in sacks right now, Everson Griffin, Minnesota, and Chandler Jones, Arizona, tied for the lead after uh, after week 12 uh, with 12 sacks apiece. So what do you attribute your success this year to? And, uh, I mean, you've, you've always been a very good pass rusher, but you're even ahead of your pace this year. What is it about this year? Um, you know, um, like I like I've been saying, I took some time in the off season to really find out um, who I who I who I really was. You know, I got some help. I talked to people. You know, I I dug deep. You know, and I figured out. You know, what's what works best for me and what doesn't work best for me. And um, I figured that out. And then I just been focused on my mental part of the game. You know, like they say. Football is eighty percent mental, twenty percent physical, and that really holds true. And that's what I focus on, man. Focus on, you know, um, loving my family more. Focus on, you know, this, you know, um, loving God more too, as well. And and um, just doing all the right things that I know I could do, and just doing them at a high level, and just locking in on my mental part of the game, and just letting my play speak for itself. You know, locking in for four quarters, and 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 not allowing anything to interfere with. When, when I'm when I'm on that field and trying to beat my guy and break him down and you know change my angle change my change my angle change my inside hand you know take one more extra step up the field you know um 
um, fake him this way, you know, jab him this way, see what he does, jab him that way, see, um, see does he sit down, you know, just able to lock in and really dial in on my guy and, and really see what he's doing on every single play to be able to come up with a game plan while I'm on the field and beat him. And, and, and that's what I was saying, man. My mental my mental game is on point right now, man. I'm able to lock in for four quarters and, and don't let anything, allow anything to interfere with, with that part of my game anymore. Now, I don't know how many people uh, who are listening to this would know, but a home team has never played in the Super Bowl. It's never happened. And yet here you are right now. You guys are 9-2. and two. Um, You're tied for the best record in the NFC right now. And uh, it's hard to imagine the Minnesota Vikings losing. It's kind of a Cinderella season. Case Keenum has come in. He can't lose. He's bombs away. He looks like Dan Marino out there. You and Daniil Hunter are, are, you know, rushing the passer so great. You, you know, and and it, it's just been so such an interesting year. And I wonder, what do you think your chances are as you sit here right now? Do you think you guys have a legitimate shot to be the first team to host the Super Bowl? I think we do have a legitimate, a legitimate shot right now. Um, you know, our offense is clicking. You know, we, we lost Sam Bradford. He had one amazing first game in, you know, and then he was, it was unfortunate that he went down. We lost Dalvin Cook, you know, and he was just getting rolling. And then, um, we had Latavius Murray step in, um, Jerick, Jer- McKinnon step in. And then, um, you know, the offense just took over and the case got, case got his opportunity and, you know, and he just took it around with it. You know, that's a game of football. Anytime you get an opportunity to showcase your abilities, you got to be ready when that moment arrives. And that's exactly what he's been doing. When he got his time to shine, and he's doing it on a high level. And in the defense, we're just playing. We're just playing as one, man. We're playing together. You know, we're holding each other to a high standard. You know, we're yelling at each other on the sideline, and we're, and we're accepting that in a good way instead of. In the past, if somebody's yelling or fighting or screaming, you know, it's a distraction. Now we know it's coming from a good place that we all have an understanding that, you know, we need to we need to hold each other accountable. We need to play together. We need to run to the ball. We need to do all the right things to be able to win each and every week, you know, because like the old saying, defense wins championships, and that's the truth. And I feel like if our defense keep on getting better with five games ago and keep on getting battle-tested, you know, we just got to keep on doing that. But I do feel like we have a legitimate shot to host the Super Bowl. But, you know, it starts with we got to win these last five games. You know, why not win these last five to put ourselves in the best situation and get the first round by, you know, and and we can control what the um, Philadelphia Eagles do. Um, so we just got to look to get that second seed right now and uh, because this is the first to get that second seed and, you know, and get that first round by, and that's huge. And then, you know, Went went out from there, but we got to be around the Falcons first to be able to get where we want to go. Everson Griffin, fun talking to you. Really glad you uh, have a good, healthy baby, and you've got three of them. And uh, you know, it, it's been really, really fun to watch you. You have such you play the game with such joy, and uh, I think a lot of times, you know, you think of football as guys who. Uh, you know, it's a job, and you don't necessarily see the joy all the time, but I see it in you, and it's always fun to uh, to watch you play, and I wish you the best the rest of the way. Thank you, Peter. 
thanks to my guests, Everson Griffin of the Minnesota Vikings, Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports, and former Tampa Bay Bucks general manager, Mark Dominic. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Adam Schefter, Roger Goodell, and John Elway. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Harry's and State Farm. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.